This message is part of our Spring 2021 large group series on the book of Ecclesiastes, asking what it means to live well and where meaning can be found in life. If you're interested in joining a community group at Western Carolina where people gather together weekly to discuss these meetings and pray with and for one another, please email Andrew Shank at andrew.shank at ruf.org. We'd love to get you plugged in. Thanks for listening. Well, last week we introduced the book of Ecclesiastes and the, the central question of this book. What do we do with the seeming futility and insignificance of our lives, especially in comparison to the world around us? Right, Nothing seems to change. The wind keeps blowing, the earth keeps spinning, my, my ear keeps hearing and my eye keeps seeing. People are born, people die, and people are forgotten. The author, most likely Solomon, gifted with great wisdom, says, I'm troubled by this question and I'm going to figure it out, right? I'm going to use my mind and my resources and my connections to see if I can find some kind of significance in this life, something about which I can say, yes, I found something weighty, something substantial, something that I can cling to. Because remember, he he describes in chapter one, all of life as a chasing after the wind, right? Or, Or he says it's all vanity, which is a word that we talked about means mist or vapor or breath, right? It's insubstantial. It's, it's transient. It's fleeting. You can't cling to those things. Solomon wants to find something he can hold on to, right? Something that will inject meaning into his life, not just distract him from this question of futility and insignificance. And he'll go through, in in the book of Ecclesiastes, several different areas. But the first one that he tries, or the first one that he tells us about, at least, is, is the search for meaning in pleasure. Here's what he says about pleasure as a source of meaning in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 11. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold... This also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, and my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem." I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. 
I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. And then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Let's pray, and we'll talk about what that means. Father, again, as always, we thank you for your word and the way it opens our eyes, the way it reveals truth to us. We pray that you would do that for us in these uh, these few verses uh, where Solomon talks about pleasure. Help us to see uh, the emptiness of searching for meaning and pleasure, to see what Solomon means, and to see a better way. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So right off the bat, in verse 1, Solomon gives us a summary of this quest for pleasure. He says, Come now, I'll test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. Right? Summary statement. I'm going to look for meaning in pleasure. And short version, I didn't find it. And, and it kind of leads us to wonder, well, did you really try? I mean, Solomon, have you ever tried pleasure? It's kind of great. And Solomon, maybe he anticipates this objection, right? He wants to give us a full report of his uh, his search. He wants us to know that he was thorough. So he, he details all the different avenues of pleasure that he pursued, all the, the different rabbit trails he chased to find meaning in pleasure. He tried food and drink, verse 3, right? He sought out how to cheer his body with wine. He's not just talking about getting blackout drunk, although that's, you know, potentially in view here, right? He, he's saying, I sought how to cheer my body with wine. But remember, this is Solomon, right? He's unsurpassed wealth. He's not tossing back white claws or like bottom shelf Captain Morgan, right? He's not eating ramen or cookout, right? He's talking about the best of the best, the most expensive, well-aged wine, the best food prepared in the best way. Food and drink. He talks about uh, seeking pleasure in doing good for others. Right? He makes parks and considers how to maintain them sustainably. Right? He's not just building, building, building. He's considering environmental factors and, and how to have pools that will sustain these trees and these beautiful gardens that aren't just pretty but beneficial. Right? There's vineyards for wine and fruit trees for food. He works to make the world beautiful. He also seeks pleasure in verse 7 in stuff, right? Amassing wealth, right? He's got herds and flocks that surpassed any before him in Jerusalem. And we hear that today and think herds and flocks. Well, like farmers aren't really our example of somebody who's made it, right? But in those days, that was what wealth was often measured in, the herds and flocks that you had, because that was potential for food. That was, that was wealth, right? And, and he's so rich that he, he's buying male and female slaves and so many, and he's had them for so long that they're even having their own children in his house, right? This is not an endorsement of slavery, but saying that, that part of Solomon's pursuit of pleasure led him to these kinds of things, right? Led him to amass wealth, not just in stuff, but in those who were underneath him, 
right? Those who was in charge of, right? He's managing, like he's managing Amazon, right? He, he's running this, this crazy big engine and he has amassed great wealth. He talks about the pleasure of food and drink, of public works, of stuff and wealth, and the pleasure of luxury in verse 8, right? Silver and gold, singers, right? Private concerts from the best musicians, right? From Yo-Yo Ma to Beyonce, he can get anyone to come and do a house concert for him. And he also just throws this in here, right? And many concubines, right? His quest for for meaning and pleasure wouldn't be complete if he hadn't sought it in sex, right? Again, this is not an endorsement of concubines, right? This is actually one of the things that Solomon is faulted for in the history of Israel. Amassing slaves, amassing concubines, these are abuses of his power for which he falls out of favor. But think about this list, right? The best meals beautiful surroundings of luxury, mountains of money, sex, experience. These are all of the different areas where Solomon is saying, I have gone out and I have sought pleasure in these things. And it's amazing to me how relevant this list is still today. right? Because the typical college student's pursuit of pleasure isn't that different at the heart from Solomon's. Right? Seeking to cheer our bodies with wine, right? To, to drink as a way to interact with people or as a way to forget or as a way to, to loosen up so you can really just enjoy yourself. Seeking to feel better about ourselves by helping the world around us, right? We, you participate in the Tuck River cleanup and other service projects and, and give your time and energy to others. And often it makes us feel good, right? We seek pleasure by amassing stuff. Or seeking experience, right? To go to the best concert or, or know the best like underground restaurant in Asheville. Some of you seek pleasure in sex. We might not have the resources that Solomon did to pursue it to the extent that he did, but, but isn't that kind of his point? Right? Solomon is saying, I'm using all of my resources to go to the peak of all of these sources of pleasure. If meaning and significance can be found here, I'm going to find it. And at the end of this section, he sums up his quest for meaning. His quest for meaning and pleasure in verses 9 and 10. Right? I became great, surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in everything I was doing. This was my reward for everything I was doing. He's saying, I did find pleasure in these things, right? Anything I wanted, I got it. Relentless hedonism, no self-denial whatsoever. And the whole time, he says in verse 9, my wisdom remained with me. In other words, he says, I, I never lost my head. I never forgot what I was seeking. And what I sought, I found, right? I found pleasure. But what's his conclusion? Verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and all the work I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. What's his conclusion? All 
was vanity, a striving after wind. None of it mattered, because none of it lasted. The buzz wore off, and all that's left is a hangover. Those beautiful gardens get overrun with ivy and dead leaves. Those pools and lakes get clogged with algae. Stuff itself doesn't give pleasure. It's just a means to obtain other things. The silver tarnishes. The music gets old and familiar. The endorphin rush of sex wears off. And all he's left with is the shame. All is vanity and a striving after wind. Some of you have probably had this realization. It's not uncommon for me as a campus minister at the beginning of a semester to have a conversation with a student who has had a similar experience with pleasure. Right? Maybe it's a sophomore who went wild their freshman year and then over the summer they came to their senses and realized that they felt empty after that year. Maybe it's a senior who realizes that their utter lack of self-denial throughout college has not actually been good preparation for grad school or for working a nine-to-five and living by a budget. And, and I have these conversations with students who like have had this light bulb moment of what have I been doing? Right? Everything that I've been seeking hasn't satisfied me. It hasn't prepared me. And sometimes people actually make a shift. Right? The sophomore gets involved with Christian community and starts to interact with the word and finds something better. The senior gives themselves a schedule and gets a job and tracks their spending. But just as often, it seems, I have those conversations with people who have had that light bulb moment and want something different, but then get sucked back into seeking meaning or at least distraction in pleasure. Maybe I didn't do it right, they think. And so what looked like a new way of living, a new, clearer approach to life, turns out to have been as ephemeral as finding meaning through pleasure. Because remember Solomon's point. There's no right way to find meaning through pleasure. Not because it's like, up to us to find the way that works for us. There's no right way to find meaning through pleasure because, Solomon says, you can't. Right? It's not there. You can find a lot of pleasure, but zero meaning. So what are we to do? Should we all become monks? Right? Should, should we renounce anything fun or enjoyable or beautiful and just live lives of radical denial? No, that, that would be missing Solomon's point altogether. Because look again at how he ends his report. He says, there's nothing to be gained under the sun. There's that phrase again, under the sun. Remember last week we talked about this phrase, under the sun or under heaven, as kind of code or shorthand for a life lived without a view to God. Right, A life lived only looking at the horizontal, only looking at what we see and the people that we interact with, and only looking at ourselves. And Solomon uses this phrase to, to poke us and prod us to think about, to go back through and, and think about what would happen if I remembered that there is something above the sun. Right, If there's nothing to be gained under the sun, that must mean that it's above the sun. Right? That there's got to be a horizontal 
dimension to our lives. That we have to bring God into the picture. Because what happens to pleasure when we bring God into the picture? Well, first, we realize that God is not against pleasure. All of these places that Solomon sought meaning, in and of themselves, they're not bad things. Right? Fine food and wine enjoyed rightly are gifts of God. Wealth, stuff, right? We're we're not to hoard it and be selfish with it, but it's not bad in and of itself. God gives it to us to use in ways that honor him, to, to provide responsibly for ourselves and for our families, to be generous to those without. Working to beautify the world, right? Remember those public works that he was doing, the gardens and the pools and the Tuck River cleanups? That's a good thing. Even sex, enjoyed in the safety of a lifelong commitment of marriage, is a great gift of God. None of those things in in which Solomon sought significance are bad things. But they're not the source of our joy. God is. Searching for meaning in pleasure switches the gift and the gift giver. Right, searching for meaning and pleasure says, I'm happy to have the stuff, but I don't want you. Right, it's the prodigal son wanting the inheritance, but not the relationship with the father. But when we seek our meaning in God, what you find is that you get both meaning and pleasure because we start to enjoy all of those gifts rightly because we don't need them to satisfy us. Right? You can enjoy things and not need them to give you meaning because that's already been given to you by God. And that takes the pressure off all of those things. Right? Like it's okay if I skip the party or, or if I go and just have one drink. I can give up these resources, this stuff, this wealth for others. I can wait for marriage, for sex. Because I already have something better and more permanent in God. That's where my meaning comes from. That's where my joy is. And so I'm freed now to enjoy these other things in their proper time and in their proper ratio. But here's the second thing that happens, right? First, we realize and remember that God's not against pleasure. But more than that, we realize that God himself is a God of pleasure. So many of us think about God as a stern taskmaster or some frowning boss making sure that no one is having any fun, right? God's just all about the rules, right? Or marginally better, right? A disappointed father who's just, his arms crossed, he's tapping his foot, waiting for us to get our act together and do better. That's not how the Bible talks about God especially when it comes to to God thinking about believers, the Bible says that God is a God of joy. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will celebrate over you with loud singing. In Psalm 16, the psalmist writes, God, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Ours is the God who rejoices when lost sheep comes home and who runs 
after prodigal sons and wraps them in his cloak and throws a party. Ours is the God who has promised that his people will live forever in a place without death or mourning or crying or pain, right? Only joy forever. With a God like that, why keep seeking meaning in pleasure? It's an empty search. There is nothing to be gained under the sun. Why not instead receive the love and forgiveness and joy of the gift giver? Right? Why not be satisfied in him and then be freed to enjoy all those other things as they are? Not as sources of meeting, but gifts to remind us of our Father's love and the pleasure that he takes in us. Let's pray. Father, again, we're thankful for the hard words of Ecclesiastes that point out uh, the foolishness in the ways that we've been living, uh, the ways that we seek meaning in many different things other than you. Uh, this week, we've looked at pleasure. And Father, where, where we have spent our lives seeking meaning and pleasure, I pray that you would open our eyes to see that that is an empty chase. That's like chasing after the wind. It's like trying to grab hold of mist. Father, help us instead to lift our eyes above the sun, to see you, to see Christ bringing us back to you, and to see your joy in us when that happens. Father, help that to define us. Help that to be the place where we find our meaning, that we might be freed to enjoy all of these gifts that you've given us and not need them so desperately to give us significance. Father, help us to, to find our identity, to find our rest in you, and be freed to enjoy your good gifts and be reminded of your love for us. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're a student at Western who is looking for a campus ministry, who's curious about Jesus, or who is simply looking for community, we would love to meet you. Follow us on Instagram at RUF at WCU. That's R-U-F-A-T-W-C-U for details about Bible studies, meetings, events, and more. If you're interested in supporting the work of RUF at Western as we seek to reach students for Christ and equip them to serve Christ, His church, and His world, you can do that by visiting www.givetoruf.org or contact us by sending an email to andrew.shank at ruf.org.